Well, good morning. Uh, welcome to Christ the King. If you are a guest or a visitor, uh, I want to say welcome and, and greet you. We are thankful that you are here this morning with us as we uh, gather for worship and, and as we come to God's Word. And the portion of His Word we're going to be looking at this morning is 1 Samuel chapter 25, 1 Samuel 25. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there. Uh, in just a moment, the passage is going to be projected on the screens in front of you. You can follow along there if you'd like. 1 Samuel 25. Before we jump in, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word, and we ask that as we come to it now that you would lead us and direct us. God, I need your help so that my words would be clear, and we all need your help so that our minds would be attentive. And so we ask for your spirit to lead us and guide us, that you would turn us from foolishness and lead us in your wisdom. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, on May 18, 1980, uh, the deadliest and most economically destructive volcanic eruption in U.S. history occurred. Now, as soon as I say volcano, I'm sure many of us know exactly what I'm talking about, right? I'm talking about Mount St. Helens. Mount St. Helens, on May 18, 1980, erupted. And with it brought a great deal of destruction. 57 people were killed, 250 homes were destroyed, 47 bridges, 15 miles of railway, and 185 miles of highway were wiped out. The destruction was incredible around the surrounding areas of the mountain, but what is also incredible is how the destruction seemed to come out of nowhere. If you would have been at the foot of Mount St. Helens on May 17, 1980, the day before it erupted, or if you went back and you looked at a picture from that day, which you can later, not now, but later you could Google and, and look at a picture of it before it erupted, and, and you wouldn't think anything of it. It looks like a normal mountain. There's no plume of smoke rising from it. The earth isn't quaking. There is nothing that you would look at that would make you think it's about to explode. And yet, with the right conditions... Danger was brewing. Explosion was about to take place. That below the surface, there was something happening that would erupt in destruction and explosion. We know what that's like, don't we? Humans, we know what that's like. Right? One moment, we can be completely calm, restrained, peaceful, happy, and then the next moment, just like that. We're angry and grumpy and frustrated and we're exploding with emotion, right? I'm, I'm, it's not just me, right? <laughs> no, it's not just me. Y'all know what that's like. How that there is something simmering below the surface and all it needs is just the right condition, the right moment, and then it just explodes. We know what that's like and David did too. You remember just a week ago in chapter 24, David went into the cave, right, the cave that Saul was, and David, in that moment when he had the opportunity to kill the Lord's anointed, to destroy this one who was seeking David's life, what did he do? He was restrained. He was gracious. He was merciful. David, in chapter 24, was acting like the model king. But something was brewing below the surface Below the mercy, below the restraint, something was about to explode. Circumstances were going to come about that would show us that David wasn't just restrained and calm and peaceful, but he's explosive. So what are these circumstances? 
Well, that's where 1 Samuel 25, where we pick up the story. For now, we're only going to read verses 1 through 13. It's a very long chapter, and so we're going to read portions of it as we go. But let's follow along, beginning in verse 1. Now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him in his house at Ramah. Then David rose and went down to the wilderness of Paran, and there was a man in Ma'an whose business was in Carmel. The man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. He was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now the name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife was Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. He was a Calebite. David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David sent 10 young men, and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel and go to Nabal and greet him in my name. And thus you shall greet him. Peace be to you, and peace be to your house, and peace be to all that you have. I hear that you have shearers. Now your shepherds have been with us, and we did them no harm. And they missed nothing all the time they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on feast day. Please give them whatever you have at hand to your servants and to your son David. When David's young men came out, they said all this to Nabal in the name of David, and then they waited. And Nabal answered David's servants, Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shearers and give it to men who come from I do not know where? So David's young men turned away and came back and told him all this. And David said to his men, Every man strap on his sword. And every man of them strapped on his sword. David also strapped on his sword. And about 400 men went up after David, while 200 remained with the baggage. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. See the situation, right? You see what's coming? What's prompting David's explosion? David's responding to a fool. That's what's causing this explosion, right? We heard the situation. David has many men with him. We heard about this a few chapters ago when David went to hiding into the cave. All sorts of people came and they came to David for refuge, right? To be saved from Saul. And, and so they came, but, but David has these hundreds of men, but he has no means to provide for them. He has no food. And so he goes to Nabal. Nabal was a wealthy man, 3,000 sheep, 1,000 goats. I have no idea what that translates into today's economy, but in this agrarian time, he was wealthy. He had means. And David expected him to be generous, right? That he would use his means, his wealth, for the sake of others, for those who are in need. And not only that, but David had been protecting Nabal's means, right? His sheep and his goats, that while they were out in the wilderness, when marauders and bandits could have attacked Nabal's men and his sheep and his goats, David's men, it turns out, were surrounding them and protecting them. And so David would expect that Nabal would be generous with him, right? But you notice what David says. When David approaches Nabal, he doesn't invoke his title or his authority. He doesn't say, I'm the next king of Israel you need to give me what I want. No, instead, David, when he approaches Nabal, he's quite humble, isn't he? Look at verse 8. Let my young men find favor in your eyes. 
Please give whatever you have at hand to your servants and to your son, David. Do you hear that? David is humble. He's placing himself below Nabal, underneath him. Hey, can you turn me down a little? I'm getting some feedback. Is it just me? Are you all hearing feedback? No. Okay. It's just me. Um, Regardless. So David places himself under Nabal. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. And how does Nabal respond? Well, how should Nabal respond? Well, with kindness and generosity, right? But he responds as a fool. Verse 10, who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Now, in asking who is David, Nabal's not saying, I don't know who this guy is. He actually said he's the son of Jesse, and there are many people who are breaking away. And so it seems like Nabal knows exactly who David is, and he knows exactly that David has left Saul. When he says, who is David, he's asking, what right does David have to ask for my sheep and my goats and my water? And in fact, that's what Nabal says, right? It's my bread and my water and my meat. Instead of responding with generosity, Nabal responds with selfishness, self-centeredness, and foolishness. Nabal is a fool. And that's actually what his name means. So the three letters in Hebrew that are the root of his name, they mean fool or senseless, especially of one who has no perception of ethical or religious claims. He's a fool. In fact, in verse 3, we're told that he's harsh and badly behaved. His name meant fool, and his actions reflected it. Now, just as an aside, we have to wonder, like, did his mom name him this? (laughs) Right? Like, out the baby came, the ball. (laughs) Right? Did she name him this? Because if she did, she wasn't setting him up for success, right? Or over time, did his name actually get changed? Did his actions and his behavior and his words, did it prove that he was a Nabal? And so actually he started going by it. We're not sure which is the case, but regardless, we know that now his actions are in keeping with his name. He is a fool. And so how does David respond? Well, David goes all Cobra Kai on Nabal. Do y'all know what Cobra Kai is? From, from, uh, the, the great 1980s classic, The Karate Kid, right? The Karate Kid, Daniel LaRusso, right? He's the hero. He's, he uses karate to defend the weak, not to, not to promote injustice, but to protect others and only in self-defense, right? Maybe you saw it from the 1980s movie or maybe you're watching the, the you know, subsequent series on Netflix, There's Daniel, he's the good guy, but his enemy is Johnny, and Johnny is part of Cobra Kai. And Cobra Kai's motto is, strike first, strike hard, no mercy. You actually kind of have to chant it. Strike first, strike hard, no mercy, sir. (laughs) That's what they do. Um, And that's what David's about to do. David is going to go Cobra Kai on Nabal. In verse 12, he says, every man strap on his sword, and 400 men strapped on their swords with David to strike first, strike hard, to show no mercy. 
And we know that's what David intended because later in verse 34, he said he intended to kill every man that was associated with Nabal. Now, here's the thing. We, we, we want to, we want to um, be charitable to David in our hearts because we like David, right? He's the king. He's the man after God's own heart, right? And so we can kind of maybe try and sympathize with him. Like, you know, well, Nabal was kind of greedy and these sorts of things. But, but y'all, we, we shouldn't sympathize with David here. Because the fact is, is that if David goes through with his plan to kill Nabal and kill his men, David will be responding to the fool with foolishness. In fact, later in verse 39, when David is reflecting upon what he intended to do, he actually said that what he was about to do was wrong, that he would have been guilty of blood guilt, that he would have been sinning. You see, Nabal isn't the only fool in our passage. David is in danger of being Nabal. And if he goes through with it, David will not only bring destruction on Nabal, he'll bring damage to himself. Now, I imagine that many of us uh, have actually seen pictures of Mount St. Helens since it erupted. Uh, Maybe you've been there. Maybe you've stood at the foot of the mountain. Maybe you've just seen it online. And we know that it destroyed all the area around it, that it was explosive and, and it brought destruction to the surrounding area. But, but the explosion was so great that it actually did damage to itself. You see, when the volcano erupted, it triggered an, an earthquake that was 5.1 on the Richter scale. An explosion so powerful and an earthquake so strong that it caused a lateral eruption. So it didn't just go horizontally, it didn't just go up, or vertically, excuse me, it didn't just go up, like we think of in those uh, middle school science fairs, you know, it just goes up and then it slowly rolls, no, it didn't do that. It exploded out. It did damage to the surrounding area, but, but it also did damage to the volcano itself because the day before it erupted and the day after, the mountain was a thousand feet shorter. And now if you look at it, there is a giant crater in the side of Mount St. Helens. You see, the explosion did damage to the surrounding area, but the explosion did damage to the mountain. And the same will happen to David if he explodes with foolishness against Nabal. He will not only damage Nabal, but he will damage himself. And so David needs rescuing from his own foolishness. And that's what happens. So our story continues. One of the servants of Nabal hears what David has said and hears Nabal's response. And instead of going to Nabal because he knows his master is a fool, he goes to Abigail, Nabal's wife. And what we're told about Abigail is she is discerning and beautiful. And Abigail rushes out to meet David. And this is what we read beginning in verse 23. When Abigail saw David, she hurried and got down from the donkey and fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, On me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name and folly is with him. But I, your servant, did not see the young man of my Lord whom you sent. 
Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand, now then, let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as Nabal. And not let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given <clears throat> excuse me, to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your servant, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord, and evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. If men rise up to pursue you and to seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living, in the care of the Lord your God. And the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from the hollow of a sling. And when the Lord has done to my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you prince over Israel, my Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause or for my Lord taking vengeance himself. And when the Lord has dealt with my Lord, then remember your servant. Abigail's awesome. Okay, when you look at Abigail and you look at Nabal, their responses to David are very different, aren't they? In fact, when you look at these two, you, you can't help but think, like, this guy and this girl. Like, how did that happen? <laughs> right? <laughs> like, that's what this is. This is one of those marriages, like, it could have only happened because it was planned by their parents, right? Because there's no way a woman beautiful and discerning like this marries a fool like that. He married way out of his league. And we see it in her speech, don't we? The difference she has the different perspective she has when she comes to David than Nabal did? Nabal's saying, who is David? But Abigail? She comes and calls herself his servant. Four times in this speech, she refers to herself as servant. And 13 times she calls David, my Lord. She humbly comes before David. And notice what she says when, he com when she comes. Verse 24, on me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Put the guilt upon me, not on my husband, but on me. In verse 28, she says, please forgive the trespass of your servant. Do you see what she's doing? She's interceding for her husband. She's interceding for the fool. She is seeking the fool's good, but also she is seeking to restrain David and his foolishness. She is seeking to rescue David from his foolishness. That's why she is wise. That's why we're told in verse 3 she is discerning and beautiful. Abigail intercedes for her husband, the fool, but she is also rescuing David from his own foolishness. And that's what David says. Look how he responds in verse 32 through 35. David says to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed be your discretion, and blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt and from avenging myself with my own hand. For as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, who has restrained me from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me truly by morning, there had, been not left, there had not been left to Nabal so much as one male. Then David received from her hand what she had brought him, and he said to her, Go up in peace to your house. See, I have obeyed your voice, and I have granted your petition. So you see what David's saying. Well, first, you notice what he doesn't say? 
He doesn't say, Abigail, stranger, woman, who are you to talk to me? He didn't say that, did he? I mean, think about Abigail. Think about her, her boldness, even as she comes humbly to David. David is the king in waiting. He has got a sword strapped on his hip. He is ready to go to war. And this woman is coming, this perfect stranger. And David could have said with every right, it is my power, it is my authority, it is my prerogative to go and do what I desire. But that's not what he said, did he? Abigail comes and gives him this speech. And David comes to his senses and realizes that what he is about to engage in, he would have been guilty of blood guilt and working salvation with his own hand. That's what he said. He realizes that Abigail's words of wisdom are from the Lord. Verse 32, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to me. You see, David recognizes that the Lord is using Abigail to restrain him and rescue him from his own foolishness. And David receives her word. I wonder if we would have. I wonder if we would now. I wonder if we do. Like when, when a friend or a fellow church member or a spouse or a parent or a child, when they, when they come to us, and they tell us about the danger of our sin, the danger in the direction we are going, the explosiveness that seems to be simmering under the surface. Do we listen? Do we say, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me? Or do we go, who is this person to talk to me? I can't believe they would talk to me about my sin because I know all about their sin. I see the way their kids behave, and I see the way their marriage functions, and I've heard their words. How can they talk to me about my words? Like that, isn't that how we often respond? But you see, David, he's no fool. He's in danger of being foolish, but he's no fool because David recognizes the wisdom that comes from this woman. He recognizes the Lord's work even when it comes through an unexpected person. And so David listens to Abigail, and he holds his sword, and he doesn't take matters into his own hand, and later the Lord, in verse 38, exacts justice upon Nabal. He is struck dead, and David realizes it was the Lord's hand through Abigail restraining him. That David needed rescuing from his foolishness, and that's what he got. Rescue. And y'all, that's what we need. That's what we need, even when we don't realize it. Because often we are like David. We have simmering foolishness under the surface, ready to erupt in our hearts. And like David, we need others to come and to, re to restrain us from that simmer, to restrain us from our foolishness. We are in need of people, of someone to come to prevent us from doing damage to others and to ourselves. Because y'all, the, the truth is, is we're not calling people to arms, right? <laughs> like 400 men, hey y'all, let's go get our swords and let's go take it. We're, we're not doing those things. 
but we're doing just as damaging things. Right? We respond to those we disagree with and those who mistreat us and those who we think are a fool. And we respond with what? Angry and belittling words. Passive-aggressive comments or snide remarks and gossip. And y'all, when we do this, we are not just damaging them, we are, but we are doing damage to our own souls. And so we too need someone like Abigail to come into our lives and to restrain us from our foolishness, to rescue us from our sin. And God has given us that someone because God has given us his son who, like Abigail, is an advocate, who, like Abigail, is an intercessor, but, but his son, our Lord Jesus, is the perfect advocate and the perfect intercessor, the one who bestows grace and mercy upon his people. Jesus is the personification of wisdom who rescues us from our foolishness and rescues us from our sin. And so, y'all, let us hear his word for what it is. It is wise and loving. It is gracious and restraining. It is his word that rescues us. So, y'all, let us not be Nabal. Let us not be a Nabal. But instead, let us hear and receive God's word through his son, the one who has rescued us from our foolishness, the one who has rescued us from our sin. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you have sent your son, our Lord Jesus, who has spoken your word, who is the very word made flesh. And it is by his word that we hear your truth and coupled with your spirit, you lead us into your truth. And so we ask that you would do it again, that you would lead us away from our foolishness and you would lead us in the path of wisdom, following after you, our God and our King, in whose name we pray. And God's people said together, Amen.